Good morning, Grace. I'm going to ask you guys a question. I want you to raise your hands and be honest, okay? We're at church. You can't lie. How many of you growing up were neat kids? In other words, how many of you uh, growing up, your room were kind of in order and, and had everything pretty much uh, established? Yeah, there's a couple of weirdos in the room. Yeah, I see that. See, I was normal. Growing up, man, I was a messy kid. My room was just a mess. I had toys everywhere. And I remember clearly my bedroom had two closets, a linen closet and just my normal closet. And my mom every day would say, you need to clean your room. When I get home, I want that room cleaned. So what I would do, I would obey her, and I would just shove stuff under the, the bed, put stuff into the closets, and make it look kind of neat, kind of make my bed. She'd get home, and she would like, hmm. The next day, the same thing, a mess, and I would do it over and over again. But then the weekend came, and my mom didn't have to go to work. She'd come in, and she'd start inspecting under the bed. And as soon as she saw all the mess down there, oh, my goodness, it was crazy. What is going on? She'd tear the thing out, open the closet. Do you remember Mommy Dearest, the movie? <laughs> no wire hangers. I mean, it was just bad. <laughs> Chaos. And see, the problem was that on the outside, it looked like I was obeying. My room looked kind of neat, and I was obeying a little bit, but I was not completely obeying my mom's commandment of saying, hey, this room needs to be clean. And if we're honest, we do that a lot. We pretend to obey. We pretend to be all good on the outside, but on the inside, our heart is somewhere else. And we're going to see today that this is a case for this guy, Saul, the king, the first king of Israel. And that's how, how he looked. He looked good on the outside, but on the inside, he was totally disobeying God. We're in the middle of a, a series that we call Just Lead. And let me just catch you up to where we're at now. Let me give you a big picture and then narrow down a little bit. So you had Moses. This guy, this prophet who God said, I want my people out of Egypt. I want the Israelite people to be free. So he goes and he frees the Israelites. So they go to the desert. It's, it's in the book of Exodus. In the, they're in the desert for 40 years. And God promises them, I'm going to give you a land. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. The promised land. That is the promise I'm going to give you. Unfortunately, Moses doesn't make it. But this other cool guy, Joshua, he brings the people into to the promised land. And it's pretty cool. But then, then we come to an era it's called Judges, and it's in the book of Judges, where everything was kind of chaotic. And God did bring up some judges. You got Deborah, you got Samson, you got Gideon. You have all these judges, but I think the verse that summarizes best this era is a verse that says that everybody did whatever was right in their own minds. So if they felt it was right, they would do it. But then, but then we come to Samuel, and this guy is born and he's a righteous guy, a man who follows God. And even as a youngster, he grows up ministering to the Lord. And Samuel becomes the first true prophet, the first judge, the first priest that Israel ever had. But then in chapter 8, chapter 8 of 1 Samuel comes along and the people look around and they see that other nations, they have kings. And they're saying, why don't we have kings, Samuel? I want a king just like everybody else. And Samuel is heard and prays to God and says, God, why, why are they rejecting me? And God says, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And if they want a king, I'm going to give them a king. But there's going to be consequences. And sure enough, 
we read that God gives him a king, and this king, his name is Saul. And this guy, now this guy is a handsome, uh, rugged, athletic. It says that he's heads and shoulders above the rest. He's a tall guy. I mean, this guy is Mr. Israel. I mean, he's the top-notch king, and everybody's happy with him. As a matter of fact, we read that they go into battle and, and Saul kills uh, other tribes and nations that try, try to attack the Israelites. And he's there and he looks like a humble king at first. He gives all the glory to God and everything is going their way. But as we're going to see today, his heart wasn't there. His heart wasn't for the Lord. His heart was for himself. He did everything for his own desires. He wanted to please the people more than he wanted to please God. So let's jump in today. We're going to be looking at that. And what I want to do today is I want to answer three questions by these verses that we're about to read. Three questions. And these questions are this. When do I disobey? What happens when I disobey? And how can I correct my disobedience? When do I disobey? What happens when I disobey? And then how can I correct when I disobey? We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 33, which is almost all the, the chapter there. And I encourage you guys to grab your Bibles, follow along. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible underneath the desk. If you're new to the, to the Bible, the page number's on your worship guide. And as always, we're going to have the, the verses up on the screen behind me. Let me open up in prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, again, I want to thank you that we can come here today and just worship you corporately, that we can just listen to your word, Father. And as your word speaks today, Father, let it be your words and not mine. And Father, I always pray that we are people that change. We don't just come in here and go through the motions and walk out the same when we walked in, but we become doers of your word, that our hearts are changed, that we're transformed, and we walk out these doors being true Christians, being people that follow you and love you. We want to say all these things in your son's name. Amen. First Samuel, Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. I didn't want to do this, but I have to wear glasses, guys. I've been holding out as much as I could, and, but I've been wearing glasses for a while. But I see Chad wearing them, so I say, why not? He looks cool. I'll maybe look cool. So, First Samuel chapter 15, verses uh, 1 through 33. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when you came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All right, let me stop here for a little bit because you guys are probably freaking out. You're saying, what, really? The donkeys? They're killing the donkeys? What's going on? No, you heard right. God gave specific instructions to go and destroy everything, women and children. Now, some of you are saying, what, what's going on? What kind of a God is this? And let me just give you some points, and, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we can have a whole sermon just on this verse. But let me tell you what I do know. I do know that our God is a, is a loving God, a merciful God, a just God, and he's also a sovereign God. I do know that the Amalekites, they were evil people. They would do horrendous 
things. They would sacrifice their own babies, their own children to their pagan god. And as a matter of fact, they were trained the children to become just like their parents, evil. That's all they were, were just evil. And in Exodus, Exodus 17, we see of, of the Israelites, when they're coming out of Egypt again, the Amalekites come be, be behind them, and they jump on them, and they attack them. And the people that were behind the Israelites, they were the slower people, the women, the children, the elderly, and they ambushed them. And it's a great story. I recommend you read it. And if you recall, Moses is, is, finds out the Amalekites are attacking their people, Israel, and he prays to God, and God says, just raise your hands up, and as long as you have your hands up, they will be defeated. And Moses raises his hand, and he gets tired, and he raises his hands up again, and then two people are holding his hands up, and they defeat the Amalekites. Evil people. And God had promised uh, Moses, he said, you know what, one day, one day I will have no more. And this day was a day. So he ordered King Saul to destroy them. God had given them 200 years, 200 years to repent. And they kept on doing evil after evil after evil. So God ordered that. And Samuel, I mean, and Saul, we'll see, we'll see how he responds. Verse 3, I mean, verse 4. So Samuel summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havala as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made King Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, the word regret there in, in Hebrew, it's nacham, which, which doesn't mean that God changed his mind. He didn't say, oh, man, I didn't know this was going to happen. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't see this coming. That's not what it means because God is sovereign. He knows the future. He knew all things and the way they work out. That word there is more of a repent. And God uses language that we can understand. And he's saying, I am saddened that Saul didn't obey me. And now I'm going to take away his kingship. It goes on and says this. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? The bleeding of the sheep is just bah, and lowing is moo. I just want to make animal noises for you guys. <laughs> Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. 
And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on a mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the thing devoted to destructions, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying, obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and the presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to your neighbor of yours who is better than you. Here's referring to King David that we're going to see uh, next week who he is. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgag. Man, every time I read this, I get pumped. Can you believe this? We have this in the Bible. You have Agag, the king of the Amalekites. It's like, ah, no one's going to die anymore. Everything's gone. Everything's fine. And then, and then Samuel takes out the sword and uses one of these Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners. I love it. As you made a woman, I mean, child, motherless, today your mom will be childless and she chops him up. I mean, that's so cool. I get excited, man. So let me, let me tell you what my first point is. And we're going to answer the first question. When do I disobey? And my first point to you is this. I disobey when I partially obey. I disobey when I partially obey. In other words, if I don't completely obey, I completely disobey. There's no halfsies. It's either I obey or I don't obey. And that's what Saul did. Look what he did. He didn't really obey. He just partially obeyed. Verse 9 says this. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And God was crystal clear when he said, go and destroy everything. But what did Saul do? Saul just kept what he thought was good and destroyed what he, he didn't want. 
And what he did was like, I'm going to sacrifice this to you, God. Because to me, it's not important. But what's important to me, like sparing the best, like keeping the best cattle and keeping this this king so I can show off, that I'm going to disobey you. I'm going to partially obey you, God. And I look back and I see that most of us are like that when it comes to obeying God. When it comes to obeying God with our time, we know God's word. It says, you know what? Sunday is a day that I have set apart. Sunday is a day of Sabbath. Sunday is a day that you come and worship me corporately. And what do we do? We hear, but we don't completely obey. We look at our agendas and we say, let me see. Hmm, Sunday, am I free? Uh, Nope, I've got a tournament. Can't go to church. Uh, Kids have this activity. No way. Can't do that. You know, oh, no, the Cowboys play at noon. E, I'm not going to make it. There's no way. We partially obey, and then we tailor down to make it fit our needs, how we'd like it, what we want to do. I remember about it two years ago, this uh, lady was coming to Grace. She was coming for a month now, and she would come up to me every Sunday and say, just pray for my husband that he would come to Grace. I really want him to show up. So about four Sundays later, she, she said, would you call him because nothing's working. Will you please call him, Pastor? So I called him. And I remember this phone call clearly. I called him up and I said, hey, how's it going? And, you know, your wife's been coming to Grace and she really wants you to come. Why don't you come? You know, you know God says for us to, to worship him and fellowship together. He goes, no, I know, I know. But, but Sundays are my fishing day. I, I really want to fish. And, and, and any Sunday that's not good fishing weather, I, I might be there. But Sundays, hmm. Fishing, priority. I'm happy to report that this man is now one of our leaders here, and he's been coming every Sunday, and he's made God his priority. He's obeyed God, not partially obeyed, but completely obeyed. Where else do we disobey God or partially obey God with our, with our time? Small groups. Ah, I know there's small groups, man, but you got small groups Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, I don't know if I can make those days because I'm busy. You got small groups at all times. Wow, man, if, if there was 25 hours in a day, maybe I can set one hour apart for God. Maybe. Because you know what, God? You're not a priority. I don't want to obey you because when it comes to my time, I've got more important things to do. What about our money? Some of you are like, oh, snap. He's going to talk about offering. He's going to talk about giving. Feeling a little uncomfortable, right? Well, let me just say this. If you're feeling a little uncomfortable, maybe you're not obeying God 100%. Because when it comes to our money, we want to hold it. Money's mine. I'm not going to give something to God. All right, I'll partially obey and give just a little bit. Let me see how much I got. Oh, I got a $10 bill. Babe, you got change? Yeah, all right. You drop it in the basket. Your leftovers, what's not important to you, you give to God. But God's words clearly says, give me your first fruits. Give me a tenth of what you make. And we hear this, are you crazy? A tenth of everything I make? You know how, that much, how much that is? God's saying, yeah, I, I don't want your money. I want your heart. Because if it's difficult for you to give a tenth, then your heart is not there. Money is your priority. I'm probably saying, but... <laughs> I've got debts to pay. I can barely make it. But let me share with with you just something really personal when it comes to tithing. I was there. I get it. I understand. I wouldn't give anything in the offering basket. I sometimes give empty envelopes. Don't tell anybody. Shh. 
because I didn't want to look bad. But then as I started reading God's word and all I heard from him through his word was trust me, obey me. And I've shared with you some of the most difficult times for my wife and I financially were about seven years ago. We were living beyond our means and I started to obey God and I started, we started selling stuff. And God was saying, what about the tithe? And I was, God, I, I can barely make it now, but you want me to tithe? Okay, we're going to step into obedience and obey every single thing you say when it comes to tithing 100%. And my wife and I started tithing. It was difficult, trust me. But we made some adjustments, different things that little by little we said, you know what? It's okay. The first fruits, first of the month, just take it out of our paycheck automatically. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not going to count it because, God, I realize that everything I have belongs to you. And it was difficult. And I remember clearly about five years ago, we're finally getting out of this financial crisis. And then God put in my heart, I want you to go to seminary. So I looked up into seminary, and it's expensive. And like I said, we're just getting our heads above water. And I remember clearly one Sunday before I, I was going to start seminary, before I was going to say, yes, I'm going to join seminary. I already applied for financial aid, and they gave me a little bit, but it just wasn't enough. But one Sunday, my wife and I, I kid you not, we're sitting in our backyard just doing the budget. What are we, you know, we're not going to touch the tithe. We've been tithing. We're going to keep obeying God that way. And I was thinking in my head, making excuses, but it's seminary. It's godly things. You know, God understands. But God kept saying, trust me. Obey me. So we budgeted everything. The next day, Monday, I get a phone call from the dean of Knox Seminary where I'm going to school now. He calls me and said, Mr. Ananda, we're going to pay for it 100%. You've been scholarship with everything, your software, your tuition, everything. And I just fell to my knees. I said, wow, God. Every time I obey you, you show up and blow my mind. God is telling you, Obey me. Trust me. Let me just ask you one more thing and then I'll move on. If I were to give you right now, all of you, $1,000, every single one of you, $1,000, but just one condition, then when the offering basket came along, give a tenth. That's $100. Give a tenth back. Probably all of you would say, yeah, that's a good deal. I'll do it. Why is it so easy? Because it's not your money. I just gave it to you, right? Well, let me just tell you this. The money you have is not your money. It belongs to God. And you're saying, well, I work hard for it. I do all this. I work hard and I, I earn this money. But you know what? Who gives you the grace to go to, to work? God does. Because God can say, you can no longer work. Think about it. Pray about it. Obey God with your time, with your finances. Obey God with everything. Not easy. But he will not dis appoint you some of you here sitting here and, and and wondering well you know i know my marriage is not doing very well and i know what god's word's telling me i've heard sermons and i've i've gone to counseling but i don't want to obey a hundred percent or again maybe with your finances you're living beyond your means and you've been you've been told by maybe people at church or during a small group you know sell your stuff get rid of stuff live within your means but you're not trusting God or you're finding ways to get out of it, of 100% obeying God. I love what Charles Stanley says when it comes to obedience. And it's so true. 
Dr. Charles Stanley says this, obedience to God is as fine as doing what he says, how he says, all that he says. What he says, how he says, and all that he says, period. Not a partial obedience, but a complete obedience. Second question to answer, and my second point is this, what happens when I disobey? What happens when I disobey? When I disobey, I become blind to my disobedience and I blame others. When I disobey, I become blind to my disobedience and blame others. Look at Saul. Saul responds to this in verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told to Samuel. Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed all the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? So Samuel is, he knows that, that Saul has disobeyed God, and the whole night he's praying, and he's saddened because of what, how, how Saul has disobeyed God. And the next morning he wakes up early, and he goes to, to find Saul, and they tell him, oh, no, 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 Saul made this huge monument for himself, and they're having a party. He's having a party for himself, how great he is. And he's down there in, in uh, Carmel. So, so Samuel goes and looks for Saul, and, and I, love the way, I love the way Saul says hi to, to Samuel. Blessed be you, Lord. I have done all that the Lord has commanded me. I'm okay. And Samuel says, Really? then what is all the sheep that I hear? Again, the bah and the moo. I shouldn't hear these things if you truly obey God. But Saul was blinded. He couldn't see his own disobedience. He couldn't see his own sin. And he pretended that everything was okay. He pretended that everything was good, that he obeyed God completely. Again, as I'm reading this, I... I fit right with Saul, and I'm sure some of you do too. We're blinded with our sin. We don't see the wrong that we're doing. We don't see when we're disobeying God. And we pretend that everything is great. Everything is great on the outside, but on the inside, we know. We know something's wrong. You know, before coming to church, maybe some of you party last night and were drunk, and here you are. Or you have unforgiveness in your heart and you're coming to church and you're worshiping, you have your hands up. But in the inside, your heart is not there. Your mind is elsewhere. You're pretended, pretending to be all right with God and you know deep down in your heart you're not. Yet you marital problems. You're cheating on your spouse. And yet to come to church and you say, hey, bless you, brother. How are you? Kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Everything's Okay. But there's sheep and ox making noises all around you. And maybe today, maybe right now, God is saying, hey, listen to the sheep. Listen to the ox. Don't be blinded by your disobedience. And, and the problem is that the more we disobey, the more we sin, the easier it gets for us to do so. And the blinder we get. We don't see the things that are wrong around us. We don't see that our heart is blinded towards God. The other thing we do is we blame others. 
Look what Saul does. Verse 19. He says this. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce and spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me. Again, he doesn't see it. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I devoted it to the, the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul is quickly to say, you know what? You know what? Okay, maybe I didn't obey God completely, but you know whose fault it is? It's, it's the people. The people made me do it. It's because of them that I didn't obey God completely. And we do that all the time. We put blame on others. Since the beginning of time, you see that in Genesis 3. What happens when, when Adam and Eve bite of the fruit and God is before them and, and says, hey, Adam, Eve, what's, what's going on? And what does Adam do? Well, the woman you gave me, it's her, her fault. And then Eve says, well, it was a serpent. The, the serpent made me do it. Passing blame. That's what we do when we disobey. It doesn't fail when I do marriage counseling and we sit in our, our first meetings and I'd ask them, so what's going on? You know, fill me in. What, what, what do we need to do here? I know what we need to work on, but what's going on? And it never fails. The husband says, well, if only she did this. If only she wouldn't complain so much. If only she would let me be. If only I'd be better. If only, if only her, 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 her. And the wife would say all the time, she says, well, if he would not work so much, if, she would, if he would help me around the house, if he would help me with the kids, if he, 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 then I wouldn't be this way. And I said, wait, wait, time out. That's how I stopped him. I said, time out. No. You, I speak to the wife. You are disobeying God because you are not submitting to your husband the way God has called you to submit, to be a submissive wife. And you, you are not putting your priorities in front of yours. And God died for his church and he's asking you to die for your bride. So it's not her fault, it's your fault. It's not his fault, it's your fault. It starts with you. Obey God. God will change you from the inside out. Don't blame others. Blame yourself. And when you start obeying God, as hard as it may be, you will see the change in you and will change your spouse and vice versa. But we're quickly to blame other people and not ourselves. And the reason being is that we don't, we, want, we don't want to admit our brokenness. We don't want to admit our disobedience. We don't see our sin. Three weeks ago, we, we had this celebration for a small group, a pilot small group that we're kicking off hopefully very soon here at Grace Bible Church called Regeneration. And this small group, it's a year small group that, 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 that deals with our brokenness, deals with our sin, deals with our disobedience. And at the end of last semester, last year, we had the celebration night where, where people got up and they shared their testimonies of what Regen meant to them. And I clearly remember this, this, this wife stood up and she said, you know what, I did regen because I wanted to support my husband. But I knew that he was the one that needed fixing. He is just so messed up. And I just wanted to come along and check it out. But then she says this, but I realize, wow, I realize how broken I am. And how much I had to contribute into why our marriage was the way it was. But now I see my sin. Now I see my disobedience. And now I will start to work on becoming a better wife. And he a better husband. We blame others. 
We are blinded by our sin. And we need to just identify and realize that we're to blame and we are to obey God 100%. My question number three that we're going to answer uh, this morning and my final point is this. How can I correct my disobedience? How can I correct my disobedience? When I disobey, I must sincerely repent. When I disobey, I must sincerely repent. And at first, Samuel, I mean, Saul looks like he's, he wants to, to be forgiven. He, he looks sincere. Look what he says. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He admits what, what he did wrong. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. So there he looks sincere. He's looked, pardon my sin. You know what? I did it. it, it you know, I obeyed the people more than I obeyed God. I'm sorry. And he gets all dramatic about it. He reaches over to, to Samuel's robe and it tears. You know, he's just really, really, I'm sorry. But then, but then we see that he's not really sincere. His heart is not there. Look what it says in verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. There's a true reason. There's why he wanted um, Samuel to forgive him. He says, pardon me in front of the elders, in front of my people, in front of Israel, so I can look good. Because again, God, Saul's heart wasn't aligned with God's. It was all about himself. He wanted to look good before the people, no matter the price. I think this verse, verse 22, summarizes really uh, this, whole, this whole sermon. Look what it says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is iniquity and idolatry. God is saying, look, if your heart isn't in it, all those sacrifices, the worship that you come to me, come with a pure heart. Come with a sincere heart. If you have disobeyed me, come and really repent sincerely from the inside. Really want to not sin again. And say to me that you want to obey me from here on out. But a lot of us, again, are like Saul. That our outer uh, actions say something different than what our true feelings are on the inside. We, we do things just for self-gratification. We come to church just as an obligation, not because our heart is in it. We come to church because maybe there's nothing else to do. We come to church because my spouse made me or my wife made me or my mom made me. We raise our hands saying, Father, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping you right now. But your heart, your heart is elsewhere. And the problem we have, just like Saul, is we make other things our gods. We worship our money. We worship our time. 
We worship anything that we put before God. And we call ourselves Christians. <laughs> but really, the world sees us as hypocrites because our heart is not in it. Yeah, we have our little Christian stickers in our cars and we carry around our Bibles, but we never open them. We come to church and we're all holy and hugging and doing all these things, but we leave on Monday and we're just totally different people. People just wanting to please ourselves. And, and how do people look at us? They look at us and say, really? Is that a Christ follower? Let me ask you, what are people saying about you? Is your heart in it? Are you really sincere? When you disobey, do you come before God and, and ask for forgiveness? Or are you just going through the motions like Saul was? Are we just a people that just have church as a secondary or, or down the list? See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he stepped out of heaven. And you know what? He lived a perfect life, perfect in obedience to the Father. Everything the Father said, Jesus did perfectly with a pure heart, with no evil intentions or wrong intentions. He didn't glorify himself at all. As a matter of fact, he humbled himself, humbled himself to the cross. But see, God... God wants nothing, nothing to do with sin. And we saw that. He said, I want you to completely destroy the Amalekites. That represented sin to me. Completely destroy them. And what did Samuel do? He chopped, off, chopped up Agag to pieces because that was sin. And God, he sent his son. He lived a perfect life. And what did he do? He chopped up Jesus to pieces at the cross. We are the ones that should have been chopped to pieces. We are the ones that are disobedient and continue to disobey. But God in his love and his mercy said, no. The wrath I have for you, I'm going to put it on my son at the cross. So if any of us put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us, then then God looks down and says, I know you're disobedient, but I don't see the disobedience in you. I don't see the sin in you. I see the trust that you have in my son, Jesus Christ, because he was perfectly obedient for you and for me. He was a sacrifice that you and I should have had. So maybe, maybe you're thinking here right now, I've disobeyed God. And most of us, do and continue to do. But I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm going to challenge you to, to walk out of here and pray and, and ask God, where are you disobeying him? Where are you partially obeying him? Is it with your time, with your resources, with the gifts that he's given you? And then just come to God and, and ask him to help you, to help you turn your ways and become obedient. And you're, you're going to fail. But when you fail, know that you have a loving father that's going to say, it's okay. I forgive you. And we move forward. Imagine a church that took that challenge. Imagine a church that went home and changed their ways. A church that wanted to put God before anything else. 
that when they represent the little sticker on the car that said, Christian, you represent a true Christian, a true follower of Christ. That you just don't walk around with a Bible, you open it up and then your Bible's all messed up because of how much you read it. That when you come to church, you're not just lifting up your hands and thinking about something else, but you're truly worshiping God with a pure heart, wanting to obey him more and more and more. How can you not want to obey a God that died for you and for me? How can you not want to say, Father, I'm yours. I want to obey you. That church will make an impact. That church will be a church I would love to come to. So I challenge you to go and pray to God and let him open your heart so that you can be transformed from the inside out. Let's pray.